Happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. Week 7 in the Sun Belt brought with it absolute chaos. Not only did Coastal Carolina and number 25-ranked James Madison suffer their first losses of the season, but Georgia Southern, Louisiana, and Old Dominion all recorded wins as double-digit underdogs this weekend. Caden, you've been saying it all season long that any team can win on any given day in the Sun Belt. And for the first time this season, we really saw that come true. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this weekend's games. Yeah, we talked a couple weeks ago and you see you were, you were anticipating some madness. And I was like, oh, maybe it'll get a little bit later in the season. and We'll see some of the madness. But it only takes one weekend like this where you see a bunch of upset wins across the conference. conference and it really just proves, like I've been saying, any team in the Sun Belt, if they play super hard and they play their best ball, can win on any given week. And I think now... We might have to start making our picks a little bit differently going to these weekends now, knowing that all right, every team in the Sun Belt seems to have, to an extent, arrived. They know what they need to do to win. They've all at least gotten off a big win and can prove they can do it on the road and at home. So I'm super excited going forward just to talk about this weekend in general because it was an absolutely crazy weekend. But I think it's just going to only make the rest of the season more crazy as well. Caden, we obviously saw a lot of big upsets this weekend. And the one thing I wanted to get is just your take do you feel differently about who could win this conference or do you still feel pretty good about some of the teams that we've spent the most time talking about? Or do you think there's anyone that could sneak in and win this conference? No, I think it's pretty, it's a pretty open race. I think if you look like, especially what Old Dominion did this weekend, I mean, now they sit at the top of the conference and they're the ones to beat. And I think now it's all about who's going to have that target on their back versus who's going to be hunting for that target week in and week out. And I think that makes it pretty open on both sides. So I think we have our faith in the teams that have obviously proven and played the best ball throughout the year so far, but I would not be surprised if we saw more weekends like this and more of a mix up and maybe towards the end of the season, even some teams banking on other teams losing for them to get into the conference championship. So I think it's going to be a very interesting year. And I think it's kind of as much of a toss up as it's ever been as far as the conference goes right now. Yeah, both sides, it feels like, are just wide open right now. And I think that's going to create some fun football down the stretch. Well, as you've come to expect on our Monday episodes, uh, we'll start with the Sunbelt scoreboard segment where we'll review the results from around the conference in week seven. Right after that, Kate and I will dive into some of the big matchups from the weekend. Well, I did want to start, although we've already recapped this game, but on Wednesday, Marshall played Louisiana and Huntington. That feels like forever ago, but Louisiana was actually one of the teams to overcome being a double-digit underdog. They win that game 23-13. Both of those teams now 3-3 three and three on the season. Here's the big one, and it was our game of the week, Caden. I think we were hoping for a good game, and boy, did we get that. Over 1,200 total yards of offense in this game. Multiple records shattered, but Georgia Southern upsetting. James Madison in Statesboro, uh, winning that game 45-38. to 38. And don't look now, Georgia Southern 4-3 and three on the season. You look at the rest of the schedule, and this is a Georgia Southern team that's probably going bowling this year if they take care of business. Uh, James Madison suffers their first loss of the season. They fall to 5-1. and one. They're now 3-1 and one in conference play. Next up was that Coastal Carolina-Old Dominion game. It actually took place before the game I mentioned previously uh, on ESPNU, and this one, I think, was the biggest shock of the weekend, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on that in a little while, Caden. But a big shocker here is Old Dominion scores 49 points a season high. They win it 49-21 to and hand Coastal Carolina their first loss of the season. The Shants are 6-1, and and Old Dominion 3-3. Three and three. And don't look now, if you're being picked to finish last in the preseason poll, Old Dominion at 2-0, and actually leading the East right now. That's really interesting and a lot of good signs coming from Old Dominion in this game. Troy and Texas State, we both thought that this one could be close. Caden, we both chose to pick against Texas State and give Troy the cover on it. But Texas State, again, another week, they showed that they could play well against one of the top teams in that West. Uh, they end up falling, though, 17-14. to 14. Jared Dagey comes in, plays hero again. Troy, 5-2 and two on the season. Texas State falls to 3-4. and four. And I think the schedule is set up for Texas State to potentially go bowling this year. So we'll see if that happens over the next few weeks. South Alabama and ULM, one of the more exciting games of the day. It happened again on national television, one of three national television games uh, over the past week for the Sun Belt. Uh, South Alabama was a 17-point favorite. It ends up being a lot closer than that. South Alabama able to squeak out a seven-point victory. Very similar scoreline to last year when South Alabama lost so it just shows the improvement of Kane Womack's team winning these tough games. South Alabama, your pick to win the West improves to five and one on the year. ULM falls to two and five, but they've played a lot of really tight games. And I have to imagine ULM might get another team later in this year. Uh, Southern Miss Arkansas State, again, nothing special here, but 
Southern Miss came in as a four and a half point favorite. Uh, they went at 20 to 19. Southern Miss three and three on the year and Arkansas State falls to two and five. Before we go any further, I did want to, you know, toot my own horn here a little bit. And if you listen to our preview episode on Friday, I had three picks in that and it was Southern Miss to win, Arkansas State to cover, and we were going to hit the under. I went three and oh, so I was pretty impressed. I don't know. Were you impressed about that, Caden? Because you went 0 and three, I think. Uh, yeah, man, I tried to use my Arkansas Arkansas State card on that one, and then it definitely declined. So we'll talk more about that matchup later. But kudos to you, you got that one right on the right on the head for sure. I gotta admit, though, I got a lot wrong the rest of the weekend. So I mean, you have to take it when you can get we it. All I, did. <laughs> I, I I bookended my week pretty well, though. Marshall, Louisiana, I went three and zero there, and then I go three and zero Southern Miss Arkansas State. So not a bad start to the start and end. A uh, couple quick superlatives here. There's no more undefeated group of five teams after Coastal Carolina and James Madison both lost this weekend. In total, there was 15 undefeated teams coming into the weekend. We mentioned the chaos. It wasn't just in the Sun Belt. Six of those 15 teams lost, including Alabama, USC, Oklahoma State, Penn State, JMU, and then obviously Coastal Carolina. And last, uh, five of the six games in Week 7, Caden, featured double-digit underdogs. And every underdog covered the spread, including three who won in Louisiana, Old Dominion, James Madison. It was just absolute chaos this weekend. No, it was a crazy weekend across all college football. If you watch any game, the second half and the fourth quarters, a lot of these games were tight and really came down to which team wanted it more towards the end. And we saw that a lot in the sun, but it was a crazy weekend. Statistically, we'll get into, I'm sure it was a crazy weekend. If you watched any of the games, some big plays were made left and right. But I can't wait to get into this weekend and talk about some of these upset games that we definitely did not expect coming into that preview. Well, let's not wait any further. We'll talk about our game of the week first, and that was Georgia Southern versus then at number 25, James Madison. It's crazy how quickly those things change from week to week. But as we were recording this episode, finding out that James Madison no longer in the top 25, that was kind of expected uh, after the loss. But Georgia Southern pulls off a 45-38 to victory. Caden, I told you on Friday, Georgia Southern was 4-0 all-time against James Madison in Statesboro. They're now 5-0 after the big win. Uh, JMU uh, was the third program whose transition that was trying to go 6-0 and in their transitioning season, and they become the third program in a row to lose that sixth game. Uh, so now 5-1 and on the season. You know, I wanted to start with JMU in this game. Obviously, they came in with a lot of hype. We've seen two other Sunbelt teams uh, have that this year in App State and, and Marshall, and both of those teams suffered disappointing games, losses. Um so I think the biggest thing right now, Caden, is we have to understand how James Madison is going to respond after this. We've seen how App State and Marshall have responded, and they now look like shells of themselves. Are you concerned about the same thing happening to James Madison? I'm actually not. I think in this one, they looked pretty out of character. They got Todd to play out of character. I mean, three interceptions. That's We were came into this game worried about the Vantrese interceptions based on how he played last week, but then it seems like the fl- script was completely flipped in this one. But going into this one, I did mention it could be a potential trap game. We talked about Georgia Southern's history and playing in that crowd and playing that spoiler role, and I think JMU just got caught slipping in this one. I think if you look at their whole season, though, it might be better for them in the long run. They looked a little bit too bulletproof up until this point, and them being a little bit human and having to look in a mirror and answer some questions and finally have someone go toe-to-toe with them and beat them might be better for them in the long run. They obviously were looking for that People's Championship title, beating every team in the Sun Belt and not being able to play in a bowl game or the conference championship but still have that. But I think for them moving forward, I think them being human isn't the worst thing in the world and them actually finally having some things to clean up about their game going forward. But I think this one just came down to the competitive edge. And I think now that they've had to come back against App State, had to go toe-to-toe and try to get this game back and unfortunately lose it, I think that's just going to test their competitive stamina a little bit more. And I think it's going to help them going forward if they keep playing in a couple more close games towards the end of the stretch. Kane, I think my favorite part after this game was JMU fans have been very, very vocal across social media about their team early on on this year, and rightfully so. But I think what stood out to me was how many fans were sitting there waiting for JMU to lose to then rub it back in their face. And a lot of the message boards in the Sunbelt Twitter, it got toxic very quickly uh, after James Madison lost this. I thought it was interesting. We were in Friday's episode, Caden, we were ready to crown Todd Sinteo, the Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week. And I still think he will be that. Uh, check out this stat line. It still kind of blows my mind a little bit. He was responsible for 512 yards in this game, threw for two touchdowns in those three interceptions that you mentioned a moment ago, but also ran for three touchdowns uh, and 44 yards on the ground. It just shows why Todd Santeo feels like by far and away the best uh, all-around quarterback in the Sun Belt right now. 
Yeah, and he was very effective with his legs in the first half. I thought they were going to go more to that in the second half, but I think because Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern, like I talked about in the pregame show, was able to push the tempo and push the pace, they were forced to throw the ball more, so they weren't be able to, they weren't able to use Todd's legs as much. I feel like in the second half than they wanted to. But him and Van Trees, man, just them going back and forth in the second half of this game was amazing, amazing to watch. Both of them were making amazing throws to the sideline, very accurate pinpoint passes, and really trusting their receivers to go up and make a ton of plays. I think if you look at both sides of the ball for both teams, this game was one and lost with the skill players. I think both quarterbacks elevated their games and stepped up big. Both receivers on both sides of the ball, or both teams, sorry, made some big 50-50 catches, some that were tying, game-tying, game-leading, go-ahead touchdowns that were big for them. But I think ultimately Georgia Southern's receiving core made a couple more plays, and you saw their secondary as well, which I thought was a good unit this year, finally get some turnovers and make some big plays for them. So I think that's where this game was won and lost. But Todd have, had a lot on his plate, but I think Van Trees and the guys at Southern, man, they just pushed the tempo, and then we would go, we knew going to this one they weren't going to be able to stop JMU. The biggest question was how they're going to slow down JMU, and they did it just enough to where they could win at the end. It was a fantastic game. Man, we talked to Kyle Van Trees a couple weeks ago on this podcast, Caden, and after watching this game, I mean, Kyle Van Trees is a straight-up dog. I mean, he throws for a program record 578 yards through the air in this game. Uh, he threw it 64 times. It's hard to believe that I'm even saying numbers like that after, you know, what Georgia Southern used to be known for. I was reminded of when Georgia Southern beat Florida uh, years ago that in that game, actually, Georgia Southern never attempted a pass. And now they're beating another top 25 program and throwing it 64 times. Things are a lot different. And that's a lot of fun down in Statesboro. Van Trees, you mentioned, cleaned up the interception issues. He'd had a lot lately. He throws four touchdowns, just the one interception. And the you know his passing yards, again, a program record. But he also um, became the first quarterback to throw over 400 yards against James Madison this season. So Kyle Van Trees had an absolute incredible game. And if it wasn't for his performance, Todd Centeno probably would have been the offensive player of the week. But you have to give it to Kyle Van Trees because of those gaudy stats. Oh, you have to give it to him. And coming to this one, we knew if he limited the turnovers like he did the week before, they'd have a lot better of a chance to win in this one. But the fact that they completely just put the game on his shoulders, 64 pass attempts is just absurd. And that's putting a ton on your quarterback. But 64 pass attempts, and we talked about it with him, no sacks. The O-line protected him through all those pass attempts. They couldn't run the ball at all. They ran for 12 yards in this one. So it was really all on Kyle Van Trees and those receivers. And they showed up really big. You had Derwin Burgess had that big touchdown at the end of the game. Caleb Hood showed up big for them. Jones, they just had a great receiving day. And I think they just look like a fearless group out there. We obviously talked about the hype and the well-deserved hype of JMU's defense and their secondary units. But they made big 50-50 balls. They caught contested catches over JMU's guys. And you have to think if Georgia Southern is a team that limits their turnovers going forward and can play this style of offense and this brand of offense. There's not many teams in the conference that can do that and that will be able to keep up with that. So I'm very curious to look at them going forward. If Ventries can limit these turnovers and their receivers can play as big as they do, how many teams in the Sunbelt can really defend them? Yeah, I think the only concern that I have for them is JMU's defense. Obviously, we had talked about it was going to be facing its toughest test. They gave up 590 yards of total offense. Caden, just 12 yards on the ground given up. So when you do some quick math there, 578 yards to the air and just 12 on the ground. I'm not sure that that is a sustainable ratio. Yeah, but I don't know about this one. It was so tough to tell because I think their running game has been so week to week. They ran the ball great against Nebraska in that upset. And I think if they were in a game that was a little bit less of a shootout, they would have been more inclined to run the ball. But as soon as they found out they didn't, want to run the ball they couldn't run the ball they didn't have to run the ball they abandoned that very fast and went into their passing game so I think it'll be interesting to see them going forward if they do want to push the tempo and get up on teams I think they have that ability to do it as long as they're not turning the ball over but I think they still have some of that run game they can lean on because they showed flashes during the season that they can run the ball effectively I just don't think they had to this game or needed to I thought this was interesting in this game too we mentioned how good the offensive line for Georgia Southern has been this year and you know, after talking with Austin Stidham on last week's interview, Caden, I think that has quickly become one of our favorite position groups to talk about. Um, and Georgia Southern, they did not allow a sack in this game. And JMU had entered tied for second in the league with 18 sacks on the year. Georgia Southern's only given up two sacks all year long. They gave Kyle Van Trees so much time to work back there. And we can obviously see what Van Trees does when he's given time to work. Yeah, man, it looked like a seven on seven out there. He was back there padding the ball, chilling. He would leave the pocket a little bit and extend it with his legs. He really showed some great dual threat ability, not necessarily to run the ball, but just to buy himself some more time and let his receivers get open. And speaking from a secondary perspective, someone who's played defensive back, if you're guarding a receiver for more than three or four seconds, it's start lights start going off in your head. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little tired. It's hard to defend anybody that long and you can't really give too much 
um, dirt to the JMU secondary. They played the best they could, but they had to defend the receivers for quite a long time. So when you have the combination of entries throwing those deep balls in rhythm, on time, very accurately, that's one problem. And then you have a whole another problem when he's not getting any pressure. He's back there patting the ball and has plenty of time to throw it. So I think if this offensive line unit shows up for that, it's another reason why the run game didn't really have to be banked on so much because when you have a quarterback back there that can just chill, you can get into your quick passing game and get into your deep passing game and really just make your run game a part of your passing game if he's so well protected like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway too from this game is neither team's defenses were very good, at least in pass protect. Um, you know, Georgia Southern gives up a season high 675 yards. They've given up over 480 yards in their last four games and including 521 last week. So that's got to be cleaned up for both of these teams. But suddenly I think Georgia Southern, they have proved that they have the offense to go up against any team. And, you know, there is a big matchup looming, uh, for them against, uh, app state. And that one's going to be quite interesting in the coming weeks. So we'll see how that goes, but let's move on coastal Carolina versus old dominion. Uh, and Caden, I said it in kind of our open to this podcast. This to me was the most shocking game of the weekend. Um, Coastal Carolina has, you know, there has obviously been openings. We talked about how they needed to come out and look really good in this game and they flopped and Coastal Carolina loses their first game of the year. Caden, I thought it was interesting and I might be onto something here. Uh, Coastal's now two and four on homecoming weekends during the FBS era. Uh, that second longest winning streak comes to an end and this was their first loss in over 11 months. Caden, I don't know if you know what weekend it happened to be last year uh, when Coastal Carolina lost. I'm just going to save you the thought process here. And it happened to be homecoming weekend again. So Coastal Carolina, their last two homecomings, they have lost. Uh, is there something to that? I don't know, man. This one, like we talked about in the pre-show, I think it just came down to ODU being more prepared. They used that bye week clearly and utilized it to their advantage. And I think Coastal just looked outplayed and outcoached in this one. You knew early on it was going to be a special game. It was very chippy. There was a lot of shoving and some trash talk in the very beginning. And then ODU comes out in that first offensive drive and has one of the best drives they've had all year and punched them in the mouth. I just think Coastal didn't see it coming. Maybe homecoming was a part of that distraction, but they definitely didn't look like the same Coastal we've seen all year. And we talked about how they have been able to win games despite having some struggles and having some of those box scores not look the way you want to. But I think now that they finally did take a loss and we saw a culmination of some of those mistakes that weren't as big of a deal when you're winning every game and now that it results in a loss, I think they definitely have a little bit of concern to worry about. I don't know if that's a homecoming thing or not, but going forward, they definitely have some things to figure out. Yeah, if I'm Jamie Chadwell and I will give a huge caveat here and I'm still with the program next year because he's obviously been rumored for a lot of jobs. I mean, he might be the next head coach at Georgia Tech. Who knows? Uh, but if I'm still with the program next year, I'm going to the administration and trying to find a way to make homecoming weekend on an away game because uh, I don't want to play at home, uh, you know, so we'll see. But I think the one thing that continues to shock me is Old Dominion over the last couple of games. I don't know if you if you noticed this, but they are a really good second half team like they are not very good in the first half. And then suddenly something changes at halftime. Like, I mean, it's Jekyll and Hyde because against Arkansas State, who they beat two games ago, uh, they scored 29 points in the second half to come from behind and win. This time they score 35 points in the second half. Caden, what do you make of that? I think they really came in this one swinging. I think they played the most complete game they've played all year. And I think they kind of showed us the potential they have if they get some other parts of their game click. And we've talked about how bad they've been running the ball. Obviously, they had the best running performance they've had ever, not even just this season, but in a very, very long time. So saw how effective that could be. And I think that just gave their defense confidence, too. They were flying around. I mean, their second half was crazy. They had three touchdowns in the third quarter and two to end the game in the fourth. So you have to think, we've been talking all year about this ODU team and how scrappy they've been and competitive they've been in these games. But when it results in losses, it's the running game that's an issue. It's how long their defense is on the field being an issue. Their inability to throw the ball downfield but they checked all those boxes and I think they showed their peak ceiling as far as what they can be as a team going forward I don't know if we're going to see them doing this every week for the rest of the season but this is definitely the, the best version of this ODU team can look like I mean Blake Watson pulled out the the god card in this one he runs for a program record 256 yards on 18 carries um, he had five rushes of over 25 yards including two touchdowns one 58 and one for 67 uh, this was the first time in six games this year that Blake Watson's gone over 100 yards and ODU had not had a single 100 yard rusher all season long until this game. Caden, uh, I think after that performance, I want to mulligan on this pick because no one saw Blake Watson in that day coming. And I have to question and, and, and tell me what you make of this. 
Old Dominion is coming off of a bye week. We mentioned early on, right before the season, they lose their offensive coordinator. Was this their first time that they were able to kind of regroup and implement some things into the offense? Because we saw things that we had never seen all season long for Old Dominion. 100% going into this when I talked about how the importance of the bye week would be for certain individual players. But I think watching this game, it was very clearly important for their staff and their coaching um, room they have down there. I mean, Blake Watson, obviously, you talked about had an amazing game, 256 yards and three touchdowns, but their whole entire running game looked revamped and it looked like they were really coaching to win this game. Kind of like when you have a bowl game and you have some time to really prep and get your players ready. Blake Watson, I got to give him credit. He fought for every yard out there. He was breaking a ton of tackles and he played an amazing game. But some of those long runs you were talking about, they were schemed up fantastic. He had one cut to make and was in the second, third level of the defense like that. So I think you have to give it to both the coaching staff and the individual players on this one. It seems like and at least for the running game, they took it as a priority during the bye week. Like, okay, this is a problem we need to address and we're going to do it right now. I also love what they did with backup quarterback DJ Mack. They had him running the ball as well, had him in for a, for a package and scored a rushing touchdown on an option play. And then they had a pop pass off of the option to where he threw a touchdown there. So their offense just looked like a completely different unit. Clearly, they were diligent during the bye week and getting that run game fixed. And you got to hope that going forward for them, they can continue to lean on their run game because I think that's just going to do major, major things for them going forward this year if it can continue to be good. Ollie Jennings continued to do Ollie Jennings things. He's had a touchdown catch in five straight games. Uh, we did talk about Zach Kuntz's health on Friday's episode, and he never played in this game despite being listed at the top of the depth chart. So suddenly have to question uh, Kuntz's health there and where they're going to get him back. You know, the story of this game, other than obviously how well Old Dominion played, was how poorly Coastal's defense plays, particularly against the run where they give up a season-high 324 yards. This is a coastal team that that defense is predicated on being able to apply pressure to the opposing team's quarterback. They have just one sack in this game, a season low four TFLs. Uh, and then they also didn't force a turnover for the first time. Caden, are you concerned about how that coastal Carolina defense looked because they didn't look like the unit we've seen all year? hundred percent. I mean, traditionally, look at the last couple of years, Coastal's been able to lean on their defense, especially their linebacker play, their upfront play very much. But in this game, they just didn't look the same. It looked like the old Dominion up front was a completely different team that was getting after them, getting after their linemen, getting after their linebackers on the second level and really being able to run the ball. And then on top of that, pass protecting well and being able to do the things they had to do in the past game. So I think all of the fears that we had from time to time with Coastal, you saw moments where they were able to first force turnovers this year and some moments where they were giving up points and spotting teams a couple points, 20 just about for everybody. But this was a completely different game and they, they kind of just let it get out of hand. But I think a lot of those problems we had came to light and it all culminated in this one. And I think you got to they just couldn't stop them on third down. I mean, they got to six third downs in this game. You got to get off the field and they couldn't get their defense off the field. And when they did have those six third downs, ODU converted half of them. So I think they definitely have some concerns on that side of the ball. And obviously we know what Grayson McCall and that offense are doing, but they weren't able to run the ball. So if the defense isn't going well and they can't run the ball, I think that's just too many things not going well for Coastal's direction for them to win games. So got to look at that going forward as far as their defense and offense balancing each other out. It's mind-boggling that Coastal Carolina loses this game by 28 points despite having 13 and a half minutes more of possession in this game. I thought it was interesting, too. Obviously, Grayson McCall does Grayson McCall things. It's just a weekly thing for him. He throws for 350 again, three touchdowns, and surprisingly, again, no interceptions. I mean, that is, feels like a weekly trend. Um, I thought it was interesting. I was I, There was a, a feed that I was on on Facebook, and... Someone, you know, basically said, you know, it's never Grayson's fault. And you're right. It never is Grayson's fault because he always puts up what he needed. The only thing you could have asked him to do is maybe put up more points in this game. But the defense let them down. I thought it was interesting too. Grayson McCall, those three touchdown passes. He actually tied Alex Ross for the career passing touchdown mark at uh, Coastal Carolina was 72. So he'll pass that in the next game to become the all time leading touchdown passer in coastal Carolina history. I think there's a lot of questions for the shots after this game. There's been questions all season long. They've been able to squeak out some wins, but uh, suddenly now they're faced with some questions uh, heading into the weeks ahead. Yeah, I think just as much as you have questions and concerns on the defensive side of the ball, now you have the same thing on the offensive side of the ball for Coastal for the first time this year. I think them playing from behind is a big concern. It obviously worked out for them great in the Georgia Southern game when you have Coastal leading um, drives down the field with Grayson McCall scoring big touchdowns and coming back in games. But once you have a game like this one where you can't run the ball and then you're putting a lot on Grayson's shoulders to produce because your offense, I mean, you you're, can't run the ball, your defense isn't playing well, that might be a little too heavy for Grayson's shoulders if you look at this team and their personnel and their roster. So I think they definitely have some stuff to figure out. Playing from behind, they had to convert some fourth downs. They weren't able to do that. They had a big fumble 
Like I mentioned before, they can't run the ball. So you got to wonder going forward, is there a little too much on Grayson's plate right now and on his shoulders because of what the rest of his team and this unit on offense is giving him? Yeah, and Coastal Carolina, they've got to be careful over the next couple of games. They obviously, they get the bye week coming up, but then they play Marshall uh, coming out of that bye week. So that's a game that they probably are going to win, but we've seen obviously uh, just how Marshall plays. That's going to be a brutal, ugly game that could hurt them. And then they have to turn around on four days rest or five days rest and play App State at home. Uh, I have seen uh, online that it looks like that game might be upgraded to main ESPN, so it could be some really good exposure for the Sun Belt in that one, but it will be interesting to see how Coastal Carolina rebounds over the next couple of weeks. Let's move on to our third game, and that was Troy versus Texas State. And, Caden, we went into the weekend asking if Texas State was legit, uh, and I think they answered that question. They lose this game, but played a really good game against Troy. Uh, they've now lost 11 straight, though, which is almost unbelievable um, to, to Troy. Texas State 0-4 now on the road this season, um, and they actually suffered their first loss uh, when holding an opponent scoreless in the first quarter. They're now 2-1 uh, and one on the season. You know, the big storyline going into this game, Caden, was the quarterback battle. And, you know, honestly, I was surprised who started this game in Gunnar Watson. Uh, I was also very surprised to see Jared Dagey called upon late in that game to come in and lead yet another game-winning drive. And I feel like we've just had a whole new layer brought into this quarterback battle. It feels like this staff trusts Jared Dagey a little bit more in crunch time. Yeah, so I looked it up and I was looking at the the stats of the game and saw Dagey got, got in at the end and was curious how that went. But we can just start with um, Watson for sure. I was definitely surprised Gunnar Watson started this game and his first and only interception on the first drive was a really bad one. It was an egregious mistake. He threw it right to the Texas State secondary who I've been hyping up all year and is going to definitely take advantage of those opportunities. But after that, he played good. He settled in. He made some good throws downfield. The one touchdown he had was kind of a, a lot of yards after a catch. He just threw it across the middle and his receiver did a lot of the work after that. But I read and online his helmet got knocked off in the game and then Daggy came in for him and just kind of had the hot hand and was playing well. And then once he came to the sideline, Gunnar Watson told the coaches to keep going with Daggy because he had the hot hand. So it sounds like it was a decision made within the room, which is kind of what you like. I mean, we were talking about the controversy of the quarterback position and who's going to play, but it sounds like both quarterbacks kind of think, okay, well, if we can win games, that's the most important thing. So it's a good thing to see and hear about, but I am curious of which quarterback is going to do more of the lifting when it comes to the end of the year. I mean, Daggy went four for six passing and a touchdown, and he didn't have to do too much, but he's looked very good in some of those limited reps at the end of games. You look at the Western Kentucky game, you look at this one, kind of Daggy being your closer might be the answer, and I'm not really super supportive of a two-quarterback system, but you have to think with Troy's defense playing right now, like I talked about, they can be a little bit more flexible. So I'm very curious what they're going to do with the quarterback position going forward because 17 points isn't great, obviously, and it seems like both of these quarterbacks aren't going to be lighting up the scoreboard anytime soon. So maybe the hot hand might be what's best for them. I don't know. Okay, let me ask you a question here, and I want your take as an athlete. Walk me through this scenario. So say Zach Thomas, Chase Bryce on the same team at App State while you're there. Chase is having, or Zach Thomas is having an okay game. I know he's a good friend of yours. And suddenly your team is trailing going into the fourth quarter. He walks over to the coaching staff and says, I want to see you put Chase in here because I think Chase could win the game. How does that make you feel as a competitor? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a person to person and a player to player opinion. But I think it all depends on the framework of your team. I think with the culture we had at App State, I think I could see moments like that where maybe something like that would happen. But I think when winning such a premium, you have to you have to want your main thrower of the ball to want the ball in his hands at the end. So it is a little bit questionable of a move on Troy's end. And I'm very curious to see how they go moving forward with it. But I think like I talked about their defense is what's like if, if they had a situation where it was Carlton Marshall in the same scenario, it was like, is he going to come out or not? I'd be a lot more worried because it seems like that's what's carrying their team right now is that defense. But yeah, you just got to wonder about the psyche of a quarterback being willing to give it to your guy. It's obviously a, a, a good gesture and a kind gesture, but as as far as a, a, the competitive nature of your team and who you want to be leading into into battle week in and week out, do you want your quarterback to be like the kind of guy who can take a back seat and let someone step in front of him in a game to be the person leading to you into battle every week? So that's a tough one. Caden, I think the last two games that we're going to spotlight in this, I'm going to have you take over because I think you would do a better job. Uh, so we might we might have to do that at the end of the episode. But, um, you know, it was funny early on this year, Caden, uh, we started to pick something out about Troy. And I think we might have uh, hit the nail right on the head. And that was Troy uh, had actually not rushed for over 100 yards to begin the year. And now they've done it in four straight games. And suddenly Troy is 4-0 in those next four games. I think we might have found something. Uh, for this Troy offense because this offense they're not running for a ton of they're not running for a ton of yards but it feels like if they hit 100 they're almost guaranteed to win 
Yeah, and once they got up, they were very good at closing out. And I talked about it before. They way weirdly when they're running the ball with Daggy at the helm, they kind of run better at the end of the game. So it's good to see them get their two backs going. But this this game, man, it was it was really about the defense. I mean, both teams, apps or um, Texas State punted the ball nine times, Troy punted the ball seven times. Like it was just the complete opposite of the JMU Georgia Southern game. It was obviously a close contest. But you look at Troy's defense, they didn't do anything flashy. No turnovers, no sacks. They just limited the explosive plays and kept the other team out of their field position and kept them on their side of the field. So I think you got to look at Troy's defense. They can do it all kinds of ways. We've been talking about it. They can stop the run. They can stop the pass. And even in a game when they're not having super big highlight explosive turnovers or sacks or fumbles, they just showed up and do their job the best way they can, which is really offense's best friend. Yeah, and you know, I think that what Troy is proving is they have the ability to win football games in multiple different ways. And I think that has become something that you and I have talked a lot about with some of the top teams in this league is being able to win football games in multiple different ways. And Troy continues week in and week out to prove that they can win the close game. They can, you know, win a game where they have to score a lot. So you have to like what you're seeing from Troy. I also really like what I'm seeing from Texas State and Caden after how they started this year. I didn't think that I was going to talk much about Texas State on this podcast, but suddenly I feel like in some ways that they're you know playing some really good football right now. I thought this was interesting too in this game. They're trailing at halftime, and Lane Hatcher comes out of the half. They get the football back, and Architects a three-play 70-yard drive to give them the lead with 13-23 to go in the third quarter. I really like what I'm seeing by Lane Hatcher lately, and I think he's been a big reason why you're starting to see this Texas State team be in a lot of these games along with that really good defense. Yeah, I think Texas State has definitely been impressing us this year. I mean, if you just look at the scores and the record they have, it's not as impressive. But they've been playing every team very good and playing every team tight. And we talked about it. Lane Hatcher has been improving his game week after week. And he's a consistent quarterback that I think they know they can lean on moving forward. But then got to give a shout out to Lincoln Perry, the, the running back in this game. He's the only one that really touched the end zone and made some plays. He caught that swing pass for 70 yards, broke some tackles against the Troy's defense, who's a very good tackling unit, scored a touchdown there, had 60 yards on the ground, and had a touchdown there. So he had a very good all-purpose day. And I think if you can see him in this offense create more plays like that moving forward being able to get to the end zone a little bit more and take advantage of some opportunities if their defense creates some more turnovers I think it's going to be a good year for them and I think they do have a chance to upset some teams and surprise some teams especially if they're back at home like they played against App State in front of a nice crowd yeah I have to agree with you I think clearly Texas State likes playing in San Marcos and so teams that are going to San Marcos in the future I think probably need to be careful and at least you know game plan maybe a little bit differently I mean you look at their upcoming home games, they've got Southern Miss at home. That one might be really interesting next weekend. Uh, and then oh, yeah. you end the year with Arkansas State and Louisiana. So you look at that schedule right now, and to me, you're probably not beating South Alabama. I mean, who knows with how the Sun Belt's been this year. But uh, there's a path here with four very winnable games out of your last five to end the season. And if Texas State can win those games, they would be bowl eligible. Uh, Jake Spavadel clearly has his team believing right now, and they're playing some good football, so it'll be interesting to see how Texas State plays going forward. Let's move on to South Alabama versus ULM. And, uh, Caden, this game ended up being a lot closer than we thought, but it feels like when these two teams meet up, it always seems to be that way. Last year, ULM winning uh, in Monroe 41-31, to and, you know, it was almost eerily similar this year. South Alabama able to win this one 41 to 34. Um, and it was the Jags who actually trailed at the break for the first time this season. Suddenly the Jags looked vulnerable, but in their most vulnerable moment, Caden, you have to talk about the play of Carter Bradley. And after having kind of an underwhelming game the week before where he threw for just 245 yards and completed 44% of his passes against um, Louisiana, uh, he came back and just had an absolutely massive game. He threw 76% completion rate. He set a South Alabama record with 420 yards through the air, threw three more touchdowns. And the other thing is he snapped a streak of four straight games without th or with throwing an interception. Uh, Carter Bradley just had the best game of his career. Yeah, it's very clear that I think Carter Bradley, my guy who I thought was going to be a great player in this conference, just during his bye week, chilled, relaxed kind of let his mind go a little bit because I think going into that ULL game, there's a little bit of nerves and some of his receivers might have had some as well, catching the ball and having some drops in that game. But coming in this one, man, they look like a revamped unit, the unit that we came to love this year going into the season. And I think they didn't put too much on his plate. They were able to run the ball well, had 195 yards on the ground, which was huge for them. But Carter Bradley playing well for them is definitely a big sign. And he didn't even distribute the ball that much. I mean, he threw it to only five different receivers and was still able to get that production. So it seems like for him, he's working some of the best ball 
into his offense and throwing a combination of deep balls, checking it down to his running backs if he has to. I think he's really coming up, becoming a complete quarterback and one of the guys we have to start having a conversation with when we're talking about the Todd Santeos and we're talking about the Grayson McCalls of this conference. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly putting himself in that upper echelon of quarterbacks. Uh, really, over the last couple of weeks, it's been fun to watch some of these quarterbacks, I think, even further elevate their games. I mean, we've seen some really good quarterback performances. Uh, I think a lot of the running backs are firing on all cylinders. They had a little bit of a down week this week, but the quarterbacks were outstanding. Uh, you know, one of the things going into this game on Friday, Caden, that you and I talked about was that South Alabama needed to reestablish the running game. That was their chink in the armor against Louisiana. That's what kept that game close. South Alabama responds by rushing for a season high 195 yards, and they did all of that without LaDamian Webb, who went down early on in this game with injury. Uh, so you have to like what you were seeing. Obviously, you want Webb to get back healthy and be able to you know, make a difference. But uh, for South Alabama to be able to rush for 195 yards uh, without him, that's a great sign. Yeah, Webb went out early. He limped off the field in the first quarter. So you obviously, if you're a South Alabama fan or anybody around the program, you hope he gets back right. But I think it really speaks to their scheme and their run game being a strong unit that they can lean on no matter who's back there. If you see their offensive linemen creating holes for their two other running backs that really carried the torch this game once LaDamian Webb went out. You saw Marco Lee had 93 yards on the ground. Omni Wells had 85 yards on the ground. So it's a good sign, I think, for South Alabama. Obviously, it's not a good sign to have your first running back get hurt. But when to see your other running backs come in and that your scheme can be so strong that your other running backs can come in and be just as productive as your main guy it's a huge sign for them going forward for sure and it looks like they can run the ball just as well as they can throw the ball which not every team in the Sun Belt can say right now Caden it pains me to even have these words come out of my mouth but is South Alabama the most complete and maybe you could say the best team in the Sun Belt right now I mean, definitely after this weekend, when you see some of the upsets that you saw with JMU falling in Coastal, it's definitely a conversation to have. And with Troy not really having the most dominant offensive performance. But I think if they might have kept those two touchdowns off the board on the defensive side of the ball, I think it would be not debatable. I think this game looked a lot closer than it was if you look at the box score. I mean, going to the fourth quarter, it was 40 to 21, but their defense kind of had some lapses, which does worry me a little bit, but not too much. They gave up two touchdowns at the end that made this game a little bit closer. But these are my guys. I like what they got on offense for sure going. As far as being the top unit right now, I think throwing the ball, passing the ball, or throwing the ball and running the ball, they're the most complete. But I think they have a little bit more to clean up on defense. But I don't think it's a ridiculous thing to say of them being the best all-around team looking right now, especially when you got special teams going for you as well. I mean, we talked about um, Colin Lacey another time off the air. He might be one of the best weapons in the conference as well, just catching the ball and returning the ball super good right now. So I think in all aspects of the game, they obviously have a great kicker too. Defense, special teams, and offense, they seem, if they're more often than any other team in the conference, they have it clicking on all cylinders. Here's what's crazy. South Alabama, 5-1 and one right now on the season. They're probably going to get to bowl. Well, well, we'll talk about that game later on. I was going to say probably yeah. get to bowl <laughs> eligibility next week, but we're not sure about that one. That one's going to be a lot of fun. But here's my point here. South Alabama, 5-1 and one on the season. Caden, who was their only loss to? Their only loss of the season was to UCLA. Number nine ranked UCLA, one of just nine teams remaining that is undefeated. And South Alabama should have won that football game. They gave up a walk-off field goal. Obviously, James Madison was ranked inside the top 25. I'm going to make a point here. South Alabama beats Troy next weekend. South Alabama might be ranked inside the top 25 pretty soon. I mean, you know, that's music to my ears. I obviously had high hopes for them going into the season, but the fact that they're in the position to be ranked is crazy. And that UCLA loss is definitely looking better and better week in and week out. I think the best thing they could do going forward is maybe to have some more dominant wins. I think that's going to help get the ta the national attention and buzz going for them because they could have had this one look a lot more dominant for sure. I think they might have even been in the conversation for that 25 spot. We saw Tulane sneak their way in there. If they would have maybe had a, a 45 to 20 game, a, a little bit more of a lopsided victory, South Alabama might have been able to open some eyes and get in the rankings, but it'll definitely be interesting to see going forward if they do keep winning, if they start getting that national attention and could find themselves creeping into that ranking conversation. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I mean, UCLA right now, they're in the driver's seat to be in the Rose Bowl, and they've got a big matchup looming this week against Oregon. College game day is heading out there. Uh, so definitely interesting to see where UCLA ends up in the coming years. I think one other thing on the South Alabama side in this game is this is the deepest wide receiving room in the conference. Jalen Wayne, Colin Lacey, Devin Voison each had over 100 yards. Wayne had two touchdown catches. Uh, this was actually the first time in South Alabama history that three separate receivers have had 100 yard games in the same game. Uh, this was my favorite part. When I saw this on Twitter last night, I got a great smile. Colin Lacey had 12 catches in this game, which actually broke the program record for most catches in a game. Kane, you know how he heard about that? Let's hear it. 
So he was actually called post-game by current Cowboys wide receiver Jalen Tolbert to let him know that he had just broken the South Alabama record. You have to love to see that. A guy who had an outstanding career at South Alabama, obviously still following some of his guys. He was watching that game and chose to call him afterwards. I think that just speaks to what Kane Womack and company are building at South Alabama. Yeah, and going into the season, I think we looked more at Jalen Wayne to be the guy to replace Tolbert and be the go-to target this year. But it looks like Colin Lacey is becoming more and more of Carter Bradley's favorite target. Obviously, getting 12 catches and 133 on the in the air is a huge statistical game for him. But like I mentioned before, had a great game returning the ball as well. Took some kickoffs back to, um, I think his longest return was 49 yards, had 70 return yards on the kickoff, 33 yards in the punt return game. So he's kind of proven himself to be a little bit more versatile than Jalen Tolbert, showing off his skills in the return game as well. So you definitely have to love what he's got going on and how he's not carrying this team, but being a big part of it because you talked about the res- those multiple receivers having 100 yards days. It looks like Jaylen- Carter Bradley's definitely found his guys. And if you're another team and you're coming into a game having to play a, a group of receivers where you can put three on the field at once and you have to worry about all of them just as equally, it's definitely a scary thing. South Alabama did pick up four votes in this week's AP poll, so still a long way to go, but if they keep taking care of business, I mean, if you can hang with Troy, the schedule becomes very interesting for South Alabama to have a good end to the year, so we'll see if that materializes. Uh, ULM's defense really struggled in this game. They give up a season-worth 615 yards, uh, 420 through the air. Caden, here's what I found interesting about that number. They gave up 383 yards to Texas. They gave up 509 yards to Alabama, and suddenly it's Alabama's little brother, South Alabama, that has 615 yards, the most all season long. I think that speaks to how good South Alabama's offense was, but ULM's defense, after having a really solid performance in the second half last week against Coastal Carolina, they flopped in a big way. Yeah, they've just been a very back and forth unit. I think when we look at both sides of the ball, even you really don't know what to expect from the offensive or defensive side of the ball. But we talked about it going into it. Rodgers had a great day, the quarterback position. He's been stepping up his game week in and week out. He had four touchdowns, 371 yards in the air. So it is good for them to see that. But then the next week, you might see the complete opposite. It's been a very back and forth year for them on both sides of the ball. And he did hit his target, though. Um, Tyrone Howie might have found a guy throwing nine catches. He had nine catches and had a monster day with 244 yards and three touchdowns. A lot of that was towards the end of the game, but ULM, you were worried about their weapons all season and how explosive they could be in the run and the pass game, but that's definitely a promising sign, but South Alabama was just so much more explosive than them on their side of the ball to their defense, so they might not see many offensive units that are going to be able to do them like that, but ULM is one of the most battle-tested teams. I mean, they had a tough schedule, and I think looking forward, they might be able to play that spoiler role the same way they were against ULL moving forward, because this is just a just a, a team that's a, another level and pedigree right now in South Alabama. I think it's a great sign for ULM with how well Chandler Rogers is playing lately. You mentioned his performance in this game. He's 47 to 57, 82% over his last two games, throwing for over 325 yards, eight touchdowns and an interception in his last three and a season high 381 through the air in this game. Uh, he's a young buck and, you know, every good team has to have a good quarterback. And I think for the first time in a while, ULM might have an answer at quarterback, which now gives Terry Bowden, who's a known really good recruiter, a chance to kind of fill out this roster through recruiting and the transfer portal. Suddenly, ULM's stock is definitely rising in this conference. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think if they could leverage the quarterback play and get some better skill players surrounding them in the recruiting ranks, it's going to be big for them. Because, I mean, you talk about the state of Louisiana, they definitely produce talent. And when you look at most of the guys in that state that want to play ball, they want to go to LSU immediately. But then once you don't go to LSU, it's between ULL and ULM, really. And ULL's obviously been taking a lot of that recruiting buzz and those guys historically but if you see the changing of guard here in the next couple years if we can see ULM snag some of those guys and get some good recruits and maybe establish themselves as the premier Louisiana team of the conference I think that'd be super interesting and good for them and just would only carry their stock higher and higher going forward as a program I think what you're going to see over the next couple of years is that as the stock of the Sun Belt rises you're definitely seeing the stock of some of these lower teams starting to rise as well as you know there's more notoriety on national television we're seeing more and more guys choose to transfer into this league so it's going to be interesting to see where this league goes in years to uh, years ahead um let's talk about the last game of the weekend um there's not a lot to talk about in this one, and that's Southern Miss versus Arkansas State. Uh, I think the most interesting thing about this game was that Arkansas State was able to cover the spread here, and we thought that this game could be decided by a field goal, and it indeed was in terms of you know the number of points. It wasn't actually a game-winning field goal, but uh, Southern Miss wins this game. Uh, they did what they needed to do. There's some quarterback controversy down in Hattiesburg. There were a lot of fans pining about why 
Will Hall didn't choose to do what every other Sunbelt coach did, and that was go find a quarterback in the transfer portal. Um, Zach Wilkie gets the start in this game, doesn't have a great game. Uh, we see Lang come in at the end and, uh, you know, did some nice things uh, at the end of this game. Uh, you had taken Arkansas State. I think that that was a smart pick. It looked like that this was a game that Arkansas State could win. Uh, James Blackman, okay performance, a little underwhelming in this one. I, I didn't really feel like either quarterbacks or quarterbacks for either team played great. Yeah, this is a little bit of a snooze fest. I tried my best. I tried to be nice. I looked at Arkansas State's schedule. I tried to use my Arkansas State card when I could because I only thought it'd be valid a couple times this year, but it definitely got declined. It was not a great purchase for my pick. But the Red Wolves, they just kind of shot themselves in the foot in this game. They came out in the first drive of the game, had a great opening drive and scored a touchdown. They did the same thing in the second half, came out and scored the first drive of that second half and then they fall they cause a safety they're up 19 to 7 and then they just absolutely fall apart i think zach wilkie did have those two interceptions that were pretty bad and then they put in um jake lang who didn't do anything too special but they were able to run the ball better and rally and then southern miss really stole this game at the end we talked about going into it if they could run the ball it'd be a lot better of a, a day for them we saw they were able to do that they got frank George gore jr going they got a couple more of those running backs going so i think southern miss has an ugly win but you'll definitely take it in a heartbeat. You obviously have some stuff to figure out on the quarterback side of who you're going to go with because it looks like both of these guys are just going to be who can who can win the game for us best this week kind of, kind of thing. But you look at the rest of their schedule, they have some winnable games, but definitely curious to see how they're going to continue to improve that run game. And their defense showed up big for them too. So they have some two very solid things to lean on going forward for sure. Hey, we mentioned when you look at uh, Frank Gore's career, he tends to be a second half of the year back and he started off that second half very well. I think that... You mentioned a moment ago is a huge sign. He rushes for 96 yards. That was the most yards that he's rushed for since that first game of the year against Liberty. So that's a great sign there. Um, there's definitely some things happening in Hattiesburg that are good. Uh, I think they did a nice job here of not really uh, turning the football over, which was obviously something that we talked about. Uh, Troy forced four turnovers on them last week. Uh, I thought that they did some really nice things uh, in this contest. And you know, again, we, you know, we don't think that Southern Miss is a legitimate contender in the West, but as we have seen over these last couple of weeks, there is opportunities for teams that are still building. I think Southern Miss is going to be a team in a couple of years that could be really good. There's so much history. There's so much passion uh, around that program, and it will be interesting to see if that continues to morph. I think the recruiting has to continue to get better down in Hattiesburg, but this is a Southern Miss program that in years to come, I think could uh, definitely be a real threat in the West. I 100% agree. I think they have some stuff to lean on. You saw, we talked about it going into this game. Their pass rush was very effective. They got four sacks in this game. Their quarterbacks will continue to get better year after year after year. And then hopefully they can continue to lean on that run game as well. But I think on the flip side, the same way we could see that Southern Miss stock keep going up. If you're Arkansas State, you have to be a little bit worried. I talked about it going into this game. They had taken losses to all of the new teams that have now joined the conference. They took a loss to ODU. They took a loss to James Madison and Southern Miss. So you have to think, got to be a little bit worried over there. These new teams are coming into the conference and proving that they're a little bit more ready for it than you, which has been a team that's been considered one of the teams that's traditionally pretty good in the conference the last couple of years they've fallen off but the southern arkansas state had a heyday where they were contending and winning conference championships and now it's kind of a complete 180 and you have these new teams joining the conference so i think like we talked about james blackman does what he does he puts his two touchdowns up but there's not a lot of help around that i think if you look at both of these teams it's kind of a a, a coin flip as far as this is the direction one team's going and this is the direction the other team's going. And I'm very curious in the next couple of years to watch the stock of kind of both of these teams with USM stock going up and them being a new face in this conference and Arc Stites maybe going down as a team that's been traditionally in this conference for quite a bit. I don't think you're wrong in that assessment right there. Uh, you have to question where Arkansas State is heading. I mean, the talking point all season long has been we've had a really young roster. There's going to be a lot of growth that's going to take place, and we're just not seeing that right now halfway through the season. And at some point, after playing seven sun or seven football games this year, you have to question how much longer can you continue to use that youth excuse here. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how Arkansas State ends the year. The schedule uh, not much easier. They go to Louisiana. They have South Alabama. They're going to beat UMass probably. Then they've got Texas State, which suddenly that game's in question. They end the year with Troy. So Arkansas State's got to find things uh, over the next couple of weeks. It will be interesting to see if they did that. Well, Caden, each week on this podcast, you make your Smith Picks of the Week. And every week we talk about how I don't envy you in having to do this. Uh, do you want me to give you a cop out here? Would it be easier instead of one player on offense and defense for you just to give me 
you know, three, maybe five players that just had outstanding performances this week? Yeah, I'm going to give you three. I think I have two for offense, and I think I got my one for defense. But the Sunbelt just never fails to make it harder and harder for me week after week. We obviously saw some great quarterback play around the conference, some big wins. But I think ultimately what came down to my picks was the situation in the game. I think once you have some scratches out as far as performance, you have to look at which players stepped up in the biggest moments and made the most of their opportunity for their team. So if we go to the offensive side of the ball, I've got two guys. Got to go with offensive player of the week, number one, Georgia Southern quarterback Kyle Van Treese. Back at it again, having a great game. We talked about it, 38 for 64, 578 yards in the air, four touchdowns and an interception. I mean, the one interception you can give him, I mean, 64 dropbacks and not throwing an interception would have been really impressive. But when you just look at how his team won and Georgia Southern won, they put it all on him. He was the one that was going to win them that game if they won it. He had to throw the ball more than anyone this week and do more for his team out of anybody in the conference, I think, this week. And he answered the call. So you have to give 1A offensive player of the week to him and for one B I have to give it to Old Dominion running back Blake Watts and I think him having this that turnaround of a game as far as ODU not being able to run the ball and then suddenly having a breakout game like that you've got to give it to him so 18 carries 256 yards and three touchdowns 14 yards per carry which is just absolutely insane and he was the big catalyst in getting that so you got two offensive players who took down two undefeated teams this weekend and it was a lot to do with them. So I had to give the offensive players to them. On the defensive side of the ball, though, got to give it to Georgia Southern cornerback Derek Canteen. He was a guy that was leading the nation in picks at one point, was a freshman All-American, very high-regarded high regarded, um, DB, and then got an injury last year. But then he came back in this game, 12 tackles, one sack, one TFL, one quarterback hurry, and three PBUs. So I think that's just a big, complete day from a defensive player, especially for a secondary player to get involved in the run game, in the pass rush, and to make plays on the back end. Huge day for them. We obviously saw that the Georgia Southern defense had to rise to the occasion and slow down that JMU team, and he did a great job of slowing them down individually with his performance. So give me defensive player of the week, cornerback Derek Canteen, and my two offensive guys of the week, Kyle Vantrese and Blake Watson. Yeah, and I also wanted to just tack on to that and add in, you know, obviously the quarterbacks. This was kind of the week of the quarterback in the Sun Belt. Uh, five Sun Belt quarterbacks threw for over 350 yards through the air. You mentioned Van Trees. Uh, I think Todd Centeo deserves to be in the conversation with his um, outstanding performance. Carter Bradley, we mentioned. Chandler Rogers, Grayson McCall, all of those quarterbacks threw for over 350 yards. So this was clearly one of the weeks of the quarterback after it's kind of been the year of the running back. Huge our performances from them. Uh, you know, this was just another great episode. Uh, you know, that'll that, that'll do it for our week seven recap episode. Uh, we're halfway through October and suddenly both the East and the West uh, feel as wide open as ever. Uh, and definitely an exciting week eight on tap with uh, some big games coming up that could, you know, really go to determining who will win some of these divisions. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week where we'll interview a soon-to-be-announced Sunbelt student-athlete that will play in Thursday's South Alabama and Troy game. Uh, you'll just have to wait and see who that or who that uh, person will be. So thanks so much for listening. We both really enjoyed this episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. We certainly hope you did, too. If you did, take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, make sure to leave us a five-star rating. It really helps us out. Lastly, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at, at Frarian Smith. We consistently post what I think is great content uh, each week about the Sun Belt and its student athletes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>